I love the stories of the Bible, don't you? Yeah, there's just so many powerful stories in the Bible. I, I could uh, think about uh, any number of them. And uh, I uh, wanted to think today about the story of, of Lazarus. Now, there's a fair amount of material in the story of Lazarus, and I've chosen to just concentrate on a certain portion of it. But I'd like to share God's word with you in this regard. I believe that Lazarus is one of the best known but also least developed characters in the New Testament. Um, you know, to just say that he is Lazarus of Bethany and the brother of Mary and Martha who was raised from the dead by Jesus seems like, uh, on one side, a story that could be writ rather large. But on the other side, as many ways, is, is downplayed. But here is his story. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, the one whom you love is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected, Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is dangerous stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant. Lazarus had died. So he plainly told them, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. 
Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary went immediately to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. And so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep emotion welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed the blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still troubled as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? Then they rolled the stone aside, and Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, Soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was high priest at that time, said, You don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own. As high priest, at that time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite 
all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that day on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. There is an awful lot that we could say about this story. We can ask ourselves some questions about how it is that Jesus does certain things mostly for the benefit of other people. For the benefit of his disciples, he waited. For the benefit of other people, he prayed out loud. We could discuss, for example, how it is uh, that uh, when Lazarus came back from the dead, he had nothing to say about being dead. When you're dead, you're dead. There's nothing to comment on. We could talk about that as Seventh-day Adventists have uh, more often, perhaps, than other parts of the story. We could talk about the human nature of Jesus. Did you notice, for example, that at, at this resurrection, even though there was this large stone, you know, covering the tomb, no angels descended from above to roll it away. Help was not needed. A miracle was not needed. And so a miracle was not asked for. Jesus did not, with some kind of, you know, uh, superhuman power, reach out and, and move the stone away by himself. No, others did. There's so much we could talk about in this story. You know, what's interesting is that Martha, Mary, and Jesus seem to figure more prominently in Lazarus' story than he does. He does not make a faith confession that I think is comparable to that which his sister Martha makes. I mean, he never even speaks at all. Nor does he express the sort of lavish devotion to Jesus that his sister Mary later does, you know. It was alluded to within his story that she had poured a very expensive perfume and washed Jesus' feet. Lazarus does not do that. Lazarus is simply raised from death to life by Jesus. Very simple. Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote, Behold a man raised by Christ. The rest remaineth unrevealed. He told it not. Or something sealed the lips of that evangelist. Indeed, it seems to me that much remains unrevealed about Lazarus, including his occupation. I'd like to know what he did for a living, wouldn't you? I don't know what position he occupied within the family. Was he a middle child? Was he oldest? Was he youngest? I don't know what his marital status was, his age. I don't know what he looked like. I don't know what his habits were. I don't know what his inner thoughts and motivations were. He neither speaks nor acts. So nothing he says or does determines how I should know him, how you should know him. Instead, he's presented entirely as one to whom things happen. He falls sick. He dies, he's mourned, he's raised to life. He becomes an object of curiosity on the one hand and hostility on the other. In his silence and apparent passivity, Lazarus, I think, is somewhat unique in John's gospel. I mean, look at John the Baptist. Does he not speak and act? 
How about Nicodemus? Does he not perform certain actions and speak as well? How about the woman at the well? Does she not have an extended conversation with Jesus? Even the blind man who is healed argues with the Pharisees and worships Christ. Lazarus is presented in John's gospel entirely, it seems to me, in terms of what happens to him and how others respond to him because he's dying. Mary, Martha, Jesus, and the Jews from Jerusalem mourn him. Jesus raises him from the dead. Because he's done that, the curious people want to see him. The chief priests want to kill him because Jesus has raised him from the dead. And ultimately, because he dies, Jesus risks his own life, traveling back to Bethany to bring Lazarus back to the land of the living. Yes, I think Lazarus is a bit of an odd character to read about. You will recall that a Jewish scholar named Robert Alter has proposed an ordered outline for conveying the moral fiber of a biblical character. You're right, on the upper end of things, we can trust the narrator of biblical stories. There's some downside to that. The character's motives may not appear, but when the narrator says the person is good and righteous, they are. And when they're bad or evil, they are. And when the narrator reports to us that God assesses a person, well, certainly it's accurate. It's right on the money. And then there's that middle category, as it were, direct speech that the characters themselves offer us. Or maybe some other people talk about them. Although, of course, speakers may not always have good grasp on reality. They may be lying, they may be exaggerating, they may be ignorant. There may be any number of things. They may have an agenda of some kind, or what they say may just reflect the audience and the occasion. And then, of course, there are times in which the Bible always portrays it as inward speech, when a person talks to themselves, and I do it a lot, so I know I can resonate with it when I see it in the Bible. Not always, though, when you see that, do we read about their motives, even though we hear what they're saying in their heart. And on the lower end of this ordered outline are someone's actions and someone's appearance. Actions, it turns out, you know, are hard to interpret. A person may do the right thing for all the wrong reasons, or a person may do the wrong thing for right reasons. Actions are hard to interpret. Now, the problem, of course, that uh, we have, this outline, I think, is very, very handy. But, of course, it raises certain questions about Lazarus. Uh, John does not care what Lazarus looked like, and he's not interested in a even a wit in what Lazarus actually does. Lazarus is simply a dying man in need of a life-giving intervention. Lazarus appears in John's Gospel in two main stories. John 11, which we read, and John 12, which we will not read. The first, of course, is the account of Lazarus' sickness, his death, his restoration to life. And the second is found in the story of Mary's anointing of Jesus' feet. We find out that this is at a dinner party that is thrown in behalf of Jesus, on behalf of Jesus, and Lazarus is a probably special guest who has been invited to share in that meal. We learn about Lazarus that he is sick, first of all. 
said his name is Lazarus, which is just a Greek translation of the Hebrew Eleazar, which means God has helped. No big deal. Eleazar was the most popular Jewish male name from 330 B.C. to 200 A.D. So for over 500 years, this was the most popular Jewish male name. My name is Mike. My name, Michael, is actually at one time was the most popular name in all the world. When you count all the other languages and so on and their version of Michael, I had the most popular name in all the world. To have it is no big deal. When I go uh, online and I try to set up a password and it includes my name, I always have to include multiple number, numbers afterwards because a lot of people not only share my first name, they share my last name as well. In fact, I went down here to the oil change place to get my oil changed in my car, and the guy couldn't believe it when I handed him my credit card. It turns out that was his name as well as mine. <laughs> to call this man Lazarus means little, very little. Very popular name, like being John Smith. He was from Bethany, which means he probably belonged to uh, the Jerusalem circle of Jesus' admirers, as also, of course, his sisters. And he was the brother of two people who make it in the Bible with some interesting stories, Mary and Martha. Lazarus was either wealthy or highly regarded. And if you ask me why, I would say, well, the presence of so many mourners at his death and the fact that he was buried in a tomb suggests one of the two. He either had money or he was highly regarded. I suspect that he was highly regarded. And the reason for that is she does say, Martha does say, after four days he stinks. And had he been wealthy, they would have put all kinds of perfumes with him when he died. But they did not. So while he was highly regarded... I don't think he was highly regarded as Jesus is in Scripture. Jesus, you remember, was buried with a huge mix of perfumes. So looking back on this ordered outline for determining uh, a person's moral character, I noticed what's missing. <laughs> Lots of things are actually missing. But there is no actual account of Lazarus' sickness or of his dying. Did you notice that? No actual account. His diagnosis, the course of his illness, the moment of or circumstances surrounding his death, nor even his actual burial. None of these things are described. Readers can infer certain things, but they're not presented as part of this story. Not at all. But Jesus's, excuse me, but Lazarus's return to life, well, now that's depicted. Standing right in front of Lazarus' tomb, from which the stone has been rolled away, Jesus calls out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And he does. We read, in fact, the dead man came out, which is a little laughable. Um, <clears throat> we'll say some more about that in a minute, but this is the one and only time that Lazarus is described as moving, as acting in some way. He comes out of the grave. Now what makes this so funny is dead men don't come out of graves. Living men do. But the Bible wants to highlight the fact that he has died. 
The raising of Lazarus from death demonstrates in story form the claims that Jesus has the power to give life to the dead. Do you remember these texts, John 5, 25 and 28? And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. But from the human side, death holds us rather persistently until Jesus comes calling. Throughout Lazarus' story, he is always referred to, when not called by name, as the dead man. The dead man. And I'd like to suggest to you, in a spiritual sense, that title belongs to each of us. Such a title highlights death's stronghold on humans. But it also highlights Jesus' power to give us life. You also remember that the raising of Lazarus demonstrates in story form these statements from Jesus, that his followers know his voice. That there's a reason for that, because Jesus knows each of us by name, and he knows all the details of our lives. And of course, it also says that Jesus is leading each of us to find a life in all its fullness. John 10, 3 and 10, 10 the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name. Did you notice? He didn't just say, come out. Lazarus, he said, come out. John 10.10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, regarding Lazarus' appearance, uh, his clothing, maybe his gestures or his posture, you know, not much is said about that. There is one image that tends to dominate, in my mind at least, and that would be the incredibly odd picture of him stumbling out of the tomb, still dressed in the grave clothes. You wonder how it was he managed to walk, let alone to see his way out. Except for this moment, you know, I think... Every person who reads Lazarus' story imagines him to be pretty much flat on his back throughout the entire story of his sickness, his death, and even when he takes part in uh, the dinner party thrown for Jesus, the Bible says that he was reclined in a recumbent position. But one area... Where Lazarus' story shines is then what other people say about him. And that is two things. One, he is loved by Jesus. And two, he is a friend of Jesus. And a friend of Jesus' disciples. And may I say, your friend, my friend. We haven't met him yet, but we will. And one of the things we'll discover about Lazarus is he's a friendly kind of guy. God has made him to be a friendly kind of guy. He is loved by Jesus, and he is a friend of Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus traveled some distance and put himself at great risk to bring Lazarus back from death. We know this by looking at a map. We know this by reading the Bible. We know this very clearly. The disciples objected, Rabbi, you know, they were going to stone you not long ago. You want to go back there? It's dangerous. 
Thomas says, let's go to and die with Jesus. Jesus put his own life at risk. And we may even argue is the lives of his followers at risk. Jesus raised, risked his life to bring Lazarus back from the dead. And in fact, the raising of Lazarus is what persuades the Jewish leaders to finally kill Jesus. You remember this? So from that day on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. Without a doubt, Lazarus, I think, is a representative character. He represents all who, in the ordinary course of life, meets life's ordinary end, which is death. We get sick and we die. That's ordinary living. And Lazarus represents it well, but because he is loved by Jesus and a friend of Jesus, he also experiences the extraordinary gift of life. Here and now, he experiences the extraordinary gift of life. Jesus, according to the scriptures, loves you too. And he wants to call you his friend, but he will not force his friendship upon you. You and I have the privilege of choosing to be friends of Jesus. Make that choice today. Would you like to make it today? Would you like to make it from now on? Jesus wants to give you life, me life. He wants to give us an abundant life, an eternal life. Jesus' friends, it turns out, may die but they will also be brought back to life. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, we read, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, and he will do the same thing he did with Lazarus, with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, and together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. Encourage one another with these words. Today we celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When we think about the man Lazarus, he helps us envision a little bit of what it will be like for Jesus to return and to call us or our loved ones out of our graves and reunite us again with family, only in this case, forever to be with God. Thank you.
rather than separate the emblems as we might at other times, this time I'd like to do them back to back. So after you eat the bread, I want you to go ahead and drink the juice. The Bible tells us that Jesus gave us this bread to uh, symbolize his body, which is broken for us, broken for you, broken for me. And that uh, the cup represents a, a testament, a new testament, as it were, of blood, a covenant that God has made that he will put within us a clean heart and that we will one day again live with him and there will be a dinner party thrown in our honor. And all the credit, as it were, to Jesus, I believe that each of the three members of the Trinity will serve that dinner as Jesus has promised. This is what God is like. The person he came to serve. This is... Jesus' body broken for us. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for all the stories that are in the Bible. And this powerful one of uh, Jesus raising Lazarus back to life. It's an incredibly encouraging story. Would you help us to gain from it all that we can? Someday, perhaps on our own, we sit down with your word and we study it carefully. Or maybe in a group, we go through it prayerfully, closely. But thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for the fact that uh, he has offered his life that we might have eternal life. In his name we pray.